This episode of Off Air with Jane and Fee is brought to you by British Heart Foundation. British Heart Foundation have estimated that up to 7.6 million people are living with heart and circulatory diseases in the UK. And there is something we can all do to help fund life-saving research. And don't worry, Fee, we don't all need to run marathons to fundraise today. Over 50% of their research is funded by gifts in wills. Now, these are really vital in supporting life-saving research. It's such a remarkably positive thing we can all do and definitely something to consider if you are writing your will or thinking of updating it. With a simple act, you can support future scientific breakthroughs that could help save and improve millions of lives. British Heart Foundation offers a free will guide and free will writing services too, helping to make the process as easy as possible. To download your free will guide today and help British Heart Foundation fund life-saving research, search BHF Wills. Welcome to a brand new week on Off Air with me, Jane Garvey. Oh, you've got your special brand new week voice. Yeah, well, I am quite, I'm in quite chipper form. You are, aren't you? And me, Fee Glover. Now, I'm in chipper form because I love this time of year. Uh, she lied. <laughs> it's gone down in degrees by about, what, five degrees, six degrees, seven degrees? Uh, I've got to say, it's, it's like, it has that feel of proper November misery about it today. And it was a peace super of yeah. a day in London. It was rich in murk wasn't it? It, yeah. re- it really was. With those hints of a never-ending winter with no hope of spring. Well, that's cheered everybody up. But anyway, I actually <laughs> welcome was Welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I was in a moderately good mood. had a lovely lunch, which when I arrived back at my desk with it, because we are current, I mean, I don't know whether this is particularly nice, but eating at our desk. I don't think, I was very surprised the first day that we came in yeah. uh, that we were allowed to do that. I'm not a big fan either, Jane. No, there is something about balancing a baked potato on, on your workstation and I mean obviously I did have it in packaging but I wasn't just putting a hot potato on my lap and trying, trying to stick it in my mouth no I'm a little more sophisticated than that uh, but today it was baked potato with um with, with cheese and leek sauce it was all oh, beige no, wasn't a chicken it? chicken and leek and cheese sauce yeah, it looked like, and and I really like the food here in the canteen, but today it looked like they'd thought of making a pie hmm. and then at 8.30 someone had said, I can't be bothered to do the pastry, let's just serve the inside we'll of it anyway. St- we'll stick this on the jackets. <laughs> um, but anyway, you were enjoying it, I so loved that's it. good. No, honestly, it's yeah. absolutely carried me through the afternoon. You know how sometimes you start thinking, oh, fancy a biscuit about 10 to 4? Not a bit of it today. It's very, very good to know. Properly full. Lovely. What is the most extravagant gift you've ever been given by a love interest? Um, God, I think the... the, Do you know what the truth last to that is? Please. I got a wheel-along suitcase to take into maternity hospital. Okay. (laughs) Well, I can see why things panned out the way they did, to be honest. (laughs) To be honest. It was pretty much at that moment when I unwrapped it. Well, you won't be delighted then to hear about some of the shenanigans of just one of King Juan Carlos of Spain. I tell you what, he was a right Juan, wasn't (laughs) he? he? As we're discovering. Well, he had to Juan off. 
because he had so yes, many infidelities yeah. and financial uh, yeah. that they basically asked him to abdicate in favour of his son. So he's gone off to live in Abu Dhabi. Uh, but some oh, of well. his girlfriends... I mean, that's nothing to see here, is there? <laughs> uh, some of his girlfriends are a little bit vociferous on their time with him. And one of them, and I'm going to go home and listen to this tonight, called Karina Larson, has made a podcast called Karina and the King in which she details uh, some of the years that she spent with uh, King Juan because he seemed to be very in love with her, gave her a huge emerald cut diamond ring at a candlelit dinner. She knew that he was married, and I'm interested in listening to the podcast. On, she, he was the king, so of course yes. she'd know he was no, married. No, but but I'm interested into listening to how she justifies that. You know, she, she knows um, from this article that I'm reading well, today she, that she really hurt his wife. She right. knows that. Yes. She Met okay. her. He'll have told her that his wife doesn't understand him. Or that they've got an open marriage mm. and she's absolutely fine with it. But but I um I am intrigued by those stories of uh, women brave enough to talk about infidelities and stuff with a very, very powerful man. Uh, and it just says at the end of this article, the release of the podcast coincides with the legal battle being fought out in the High Court in London brought by Larson against the Emeritus King. Uh, she claims that Juan Carlos put her under illegal surveillance in Britain as part of a long-running row over an alleged gift of 65 million euros. Right. It puts that wheeler long suitcase into some sort of perspective, I've got to say. <laughs> then again, I don't think I was ever under surveillance. So swings and roundabouts. Here, my darling, you're looking very beautiful tonight. I've got you a little something. 65 million euros. The case continues. They've denied any wrongdoing. Yes, the case certainly does continue. Right. Um, I'm just going to put in... I, I shouldn't do this, really, but I just want to put in a, a theory of mine into the mix, which I Tony Adams has withdrawn from Strictly. Conspiracy theory klaxon. <laughs> he's claiming to have an injury. Now, uh, you know, he's a man of a, a certain vintage, and I think it's fair to say that um, I think he's had some, some troubles with his, with his health recently, so I certainly don't wish him any ill whatsoever. Um, but the thing was, he was kept in Strictly until this injury occurred uh, by the ferocious support of Arsenal Anoraks, who were continuing to vote for him which meant that he didn't ever... He, I think he's only just appeared in the dance-off and he's really not very good compared to the other dancers. Anyway, he's now... He's seen reason, it would seem, or he genuinely has been injured and he has withdrawn from the competition. Do you think he'd, uh, he realised he'd surpassed his talents in about week three? Uh, he didn't have any talents. <laughs> they, they were all surpassed in before, well before week one, I would say. OK, I think it's a bit of a shame that Strictly has gone down the road of being so fanatical about dance. I do genuinely think it was more fun. When, when it wasn't about dance. When it was just a popularity contest, yeah. People do say daft things, don't they? His his partner was, uh, who was it? Let me just find out. Uh, bear with. Uh, Katia Jones. Uh, Jones, 33, I'm reading from the Times here. Jones, 33, praised Adams despite their low scores. I loved us, she said. I loved that we didn't care what people thought and we did every single dance our way. Oh, come on. She's putting in a, a very respectable request to be with a fit young person from Hollyoaks next year. Basically saying, give me the Hollyoaks honk when the 2023 season rolls around. Speaking of which, delighting me in, in the jungle at the moment is the lad from Hollyoaks, Owen. Owen. He is, and I don't mean this in any way disrespectful fashion. But, start, stand against something firm, everybody. But, he is quite dim. <laughs> but, well, I like 
like about him is that he knows it and he He's, says of himself yes i'm i'm quite uh, I don't know anything about current affairs. No. I'm, I'm useless at spelling. I don't okay. know the words. I can't right. add up. When they were trying to add up all of the ages in camp, he said to camera, I'm so glad that, that, that w I just wouldn't have been able to get there myself. And you think, well, I mean, it's not. It's not long division. You've got to wonder about the details, the finer details of his contract with Hollyoaks. And let, let's hope he has people in his corner. I'm sure he does. Well, I mean, he seems I, like a lovely lad. He is a lovely yeah. lad, and obviously his people have got him in the jungle, so uh, got to be all that daft, can they? OK, who was our top guest this afternoon? Because he was interesting, wasn't he? was he? really interesting. So our top guest was Professor Green, who is best known as a rap artist, but he's also done a lot of work on mental health. I think he's a, he's a cracker of a bloke. And now he's teaming up with the post office and British Gas to try and give some good advice about how to get through the current cost of living crisis. We asked why he got involved with this campaign, bearing in mind that a lot of people think British Gas are the problem, not the solution to it. Seemingly to people, but I'm here to talk on behalf of the British Gas Energy Trust, which is an independent charitable trust. I can't speak for British Gas. And the reason I was willing to take part in this primarily is because I think there's a lot of people that need to access support that have no idea there is even any support out there that they can access, whether that's for previous and existing energy debt, debt that they're scared they're wandering into, even if it's just for the need for... So basically British Gas and Post Office have teamed up to, to launch British Gas and Post Office pop-ups. It's the second phase, which is upscaled. They hope to have 40 pop-ups in place in 23 locations by January. And it's somewhere that the British Gas Energy Trust are supporting local charity, charities, local independent charities that already exist in these communities. So it's not just, you know, British Gas and Post Office landing in a community um, and expecting people to trust them. They're supporting charities that already exist in these communities to further support people in the communities who need help the most. OK. Um, uh, you, for me, sorry. using... Sorry, you know, I was just going to say, for me, being able to use my voice for something other than myself is, is quite important. I've done it for quite a long time, especially, as you mentioned, around mental health, not least of all because of my history with it. Um, it's plagued my family. My dad took his own life. His brother took his own life two years before. And, you know, with something like energy debt comes, with any debt comes shame, right? Yeah. And shame leads to feelings of worthlessness, to isolation. And when that happens, people are not going to reach out for the support that they can access. And things manifest when, you know, when you're isolated and left to your own devices. Things get worse and worse when they stay between your ears. Well, that is the toughest thing, isn't it? You have to self-identify as someone who's struggling and needs help. Which for the first time ever, there's people, you know, perhaps not the first time ever, but a lot of people for the first time ever, even in dual income households are finding themselves in situations where they're having to access food banks in order to be able to provide food for their family, despite both of them working. There's this like archetypal image of someone who is going through poverty and it's not accurate. It's completely inaccurate. You've got people who, who work to earn their poverty, who work, my nan, when I was growing up, Listen, I'm, I'm not here pleading poverty, by the way, right? I'm in a really privileged situation, but that's not how I grew up. I was born to my mother, who was 16. My dad was 18. My mum still lived at home. There was actually six of us in a three-bedroom flat when I was born. Um, and, you know, I experienced secondhand by way of, of my man, who became my legal guardian, energy debt. There wasn't the term energy debt then. There was no apparent energy crisis. It was just debt and hard times. Um, my nan worked three jobs a day. And we still lived in poverty. Um, and I think it's quite scary, especially for people that have, you know, because there, there's a lot to be said for 
the people that I grew up around on my estate, if this was to pop up, it would just be something else that we have to handle. I think there's something to be said for people that are used to encountering these kinds of stresses. Not that it's a pleasant life, but they're better versed in how to handle such stress. Whereas people that have never encountered poverty before are all of a sudden thrust into a situation which they don't understand. Yeah, that's such a good point to make, actually, the people who move into that kind of space that, as you've alluded to, you know a lot about. Can you just describe for us what it's like as a kid to know that you're in a family which is struggling to decide between heating and eating? I think it's that kind of personal experience that we just can't hear enough about at the moment in order to get home to people like Jane and I, who, to be honest, we are... We are hopefully empathetic, but we are never going to really understand what that feels like. Firstly, I think empathy is all important. I don't think people necessarily have to understand in order to empathise and in order to help. Um, it's important that people people are empathetic. How does it feel as a child growing up in a household where there is money troubles and, and struggles and and hard times? It feels horrible. I, and selfishly, you know, my nan was going through a hell of a lot more than I was, but as a product of that, I was, I was a byproduct of that. I, I, I was anxious. I was stressed. I was taking on all of that in the household. You know, my name was coming home after working three jobs a day. And with hindsight, I understand now why she would be tired, why she would be upset, why she would seem to be angry at the littlest things. It's because she was exhausted. She was stressed. There was never any let up. There wasn't any period of her day where she was able to sit down and even take a breath. And there was no British gas post office pop up. There was no support. There was no one to phone. There was no one to go and see in the local community to sit down and talk to by people that she knew if she had the time to do it. And that's why I think it's really important that people do understand there is support out there and that they access that support rather than hiding. It's a sad thing. You know, people see a letter from perhaps British gas to inform them about grants of up to £1,600 for existing energy debt that they don't open because they're so petrified to open a bill to find out that they owe more money. Do you think that perhaps back when you were growing up that there was more support from neighbours and from the wider communities? Do you think people were keener to help each other out back then? I don't know if they were keener. I just think there was less division. I think it was a much more open door policy. There was, I mean, disparity didn't seem to be as prominent as what it does. It feels ever growing now. Everyone says to me, oh, Hackney's a really nice area, nice area. And I find that kind of funny because when I was growing up there, you quite literally couldn't pay people to live there. Whereas now it's, you know, a revolving door of whoever can afford the rent. Um, unless, of course, you're growing up on an estate there where it's probably worse to be growing up in Hackney now than it was when I grew up there. What, you think level, levels of deprivation are worse than in, in your youth and childhood? Um, I do, yeah. And I think there's also, when I talk about disparity, it's the gentrification that's taken place, which, of course, offers more jobs and opportunity. But how many people can actually afford to frequent the new shops? And, you know, when I was, my dad worked in the greengrocers when I was growing up. We shopped in the greengrocers, the butchers and the fishmongers because we didn't have much money. Nowadays, if look at Victoria Park in Hackney. It's got a fishmongers and it's got a butchers and it's got a greengrocers that you have to be on a relatively high wage to even consider shopping at because it's so expensive. And now, because of those things, it's called Victoria Park Village. Yes, there's always a village That's somewhere. A, there's a lot of people having their nose pushed up against the window. That's a pretty harsh reality, if you ask me. Yeah, what would you right. do if you were in charge uh, to try and bridge that gap? Or is it not actually up to people who are in charge? It's up to all of us to actually join in see what's in front of us i really like the second part of that question the first part was edging towards politics and i'm not a politician <laughs> um 
and it was a huge question which I'm quite nervous of um, because I don't have the answers. As far as the second part, is it up to all of us? Yes, I think the problem is that people look at poverty as a problem for those who suffer it, like so many things, um, when actually it's a societal problem that affects all of us. But it's, I mean, don't get me wrong, the results of it are anything but perfect. But to me, it seems like somewhat of a perfect storm. We've still got the hangover from COVID and everything that that brought about. Um, and we're now hit with a completely different set of problems. But again, something that most people probably haven't encountered in their lifetime. You're listening to Off Air with Jane and Fee, and we've been speaking today to Professor Green. Uh, we rather cheekily asked him what he's a professor of. Um, so I'm not a real professor of oh. credentials. Uh, yeah, sorry, guys. A bit like Dr. Fox is not a doctor. Um, no, Dr. He's not Dre, a fox either. No. <laughs> not several other things. But anyway, carry you on. You know, for the amount of times that I've never, no, it was funny. I've never, I, it made me laugh. I've never, no one's ever said that. For the amount of times that I've said, it's a bit like Dr. Fox is not a doctor. I've never had anyone say a noisy fox. No. Um, <laughs> So you did make me laugh. It was funny. Well, yeah. I think it was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't. Um, I don't actually was... want to make any humour about that man because I think no. no well, we'll, we'll, we'll move, move on, on move very on. swiftly. Yes. 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 Sorry. Um, no. 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 Please don't worry. Please don't worry at all. Um, just before we talk a little bit more about your other work, um, can you just let people know how they would be able to access the British Gas Energy Trust and Post Office collaboration that is happening? Yeah imminently definitely um beyond popping down to your local po post office to find out if there is a pop-up in your area you can also find british gas and post office on twitter and facebook to find out if there's a british gas post office pop-up happening near you okay and just to your point about people who are experiencing a kind of a shame and feelings that they haven't experienced before what would you mm. what advice would you give to them when they walk in you know and they're nervous about asking for help and stuff just a little pointer as to what good thing about accessing one of these pop-ups is that as i said before it's charities that already exist in these areas that deal with people in these communities day in day out even if what you need is just respite a place to go and talk to someone about everything that is occurring that you think you may be on top of but you want to make sure some people don't get the space in their day to even do that um and so what you can expect is to walk into a place where you can talk privately and in confidence with someone who can help you with anything that you're worrying about around your energy debt, energy crisis, cost of living crisis. There's so many types of debt, whether it's data poverty or energy poverty. It just seems like there is just so much at the moment. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. I was just um, thinking in terms of your own life, you are you're a relatively recent dad, aren't you? I am, yeah. yeah. He's uh, 20, 20 months old tomorrow and I cannot wait until he turns two so I don't have to talk in months anymore. Yes, Said right. I would never talk in weeks and then I would never talk in months and lo and behold, I've done both. Right. Uh, well, I was going to say to you, you're through the worst. It's not true uh, because you're nowhere, no, near, it's not, you're, is it? you're nowhere near the teenage years. <laughs> but um, on the whole, how has it been for you? I notice actually that I think there's a, a panorama on tonight about male mental health after a child is born which um, perhaps it's not Panorama, but there's certainly a TV show on tonight. I'll find out exactly what it is and where it is. But this is something that a lot of men do struggle with, isn't it? I mean, women struggle too, but men don't do without suffering at this time. Not at all. Um, I started an Instagram based around that, to be honest, and just to try and give a, a more real and honest account around parenting called the Unlikely Dads Club. 
Um, obviously, women are not just welcomed, they're encouraged to join in as well because we need open conversation in order to, to help things be better and help people be better prepared. When I was first, one of the first walks I went on with my son, Slamane, in the pram, um, a dad shouted out to me, congratulations from the other side of the road. I went, cheers. He went, welcome to the Truth Club. I went, what are you on about? You know, Don't worry, you'll find out. And I did, I found out very quickly. Um, and I, I definitely struggled at points. And you know, I'm, I'm hoping I'm through the worst of that now. But, you know, not just because of childhood trauma and things that happened in my past and my dad not being present and then my dad not being alive and all of the things that I thought I'd already processed and dealt with that then had to deal with a different aspect of when my son was born because they will come flooding back. But because of really seemingly obvious things like the sleep deprivation, which makes it hard to rationalize, it can cause friction between you and your partner. You're both trying to do everything instead of tag teaming, which is a great bit of advice someone gave us a little way down the line. Um, it, it, it's difficult. If I was to explain it in two words, it's wonderful and stressful and it's more wonderful than it is stressful, but it, is blooming stressful and people yes. can be stressful and people are scared to say that because they don't want anyone to think that they might that maybe they shouldn't have had a kid or maybe they it's completely normal to be stressed and all the things that people get stressed about generally are unspoken about mm. because everyone just wants to walk around saying oh my god it changed my entire life 100 percent by default it changes your entire life because you have you have another person to consider in absolutely all of your decisions but it, it it doesn't just change your life and make it giddy and happy all of the time. That's, that's not, that's not parenting. Yeah. Uh, I would say it's not for the faint hearted. And there's a kind of caricature as well of the new dad, which uh, I think a lot of people would, would now regard as really unhelpful. You know, it's the kind mm -hmm. of useless person, you know, fainting in the delivery room, doesn't know what to do, spare part in the household and all that kind of stuff. It but must feel also, quite hard to be on the receiving end of that, to be honest. Yeah, so like where I've, I've literally been, uh, and this has been really fortunate, it's definitely time to, to get back to work and that, coincides with Slamane about to start nursery but being a stay-at-home dad I've met a lot of fathers who are in the same situation some of who you know forwent their job so as their partner could go back to work after they'd finished breastfeeding and so they were doing what people still in our society sadly would consider to be the woman's job which is entirely unhelpful because then what you get is oh you're helping mum out as if you're not a parent you're both parents you don't help your partner out you look after your child. You're both parents. It doesn't like that to me is just crazy talk. Like you're not just an add-on. You're not just help. You're a parent. Yeah, but you know this isn't this isn't taught, is it? It's not never discussed at school. You just left a no. blunder through it. I and yes, and you do. But you, I tell you what, by hook or by crook, generally, I think you do blunder your way through it. And. Because my son was born in COVID, we didn't have any support network whatsoever. Um, my, I don't, you know, my mum wasn't close enough. My man is elderly now. My partner's mother was a frontline worker, and her sister was a frontline worker. So all of the people that would have otherwise been support for us couldn't be. We couldn't access play groups. We couldn't access childcare. Any of those things. So it was just us. And it was really, really difficult. But in the time since those things have been available to us and playgroups have been open, going to playgroups and just being able to know that if your child walks over to the other corner, there's another parent watching and you can spend those hours while they're playing and they're engaging with other children in a healthy fashion as they should be. You can stand there and just complain to another parent if yeah. you want. And it really helps. 
<laughs> it's it's bliss. It's <laughs> what many many female friendships not, have been built on so for years. You feel like you're in it exactly. You feel yeah. like you're in it alone at times, and you're really not. And I just wish that we would have had access to more of that because I think it would have done both of, you know, both the health of our relationship and sure. separately our, our mental health. The world of good. That is Professor Green, as we determined there, thanks to our wonderful interviewing. Not a real professor. Uh, his real name is Stephen, isn't it? I actually forgot what his real name was, so I addressed him, I think, at the beginning as Professor. professor. <laughs> I've had a really bad day because on the way out of the studio, I, um, I tripped over my headphone cable as, as John Pienaar was doing his extremely important and assertive introduction <laughs> to his show. <laughs> it's a sign of John's enormous professionalism yes. that he just carried on. on. As if nothing had happened. It was was wonderful. Picked yourself up off the floor. (sighs) I sometimes wonder whether it's those moments that are caught on camera in our new world of videoing radio. (laughs) I suspect not. Just the side of me going arse over tit and my determination to get out of the studio as quickly as possible and on to my next mug of tea. There was quite a funny clip this weekend that was circulated by Times Radio, which was Kate McCann doing a very good interview with Jeremy Hunt. I don't think that Times Radio realised when they put it out that she just started yawning halfway through his first answer. It was quite good, though. Right. Um, Wendy has emailed. Uh, what is the email address? For you? It is Jane and Fee at Times.radio. Hello from Herefordshire, says Wendy. I moved over to subscribe to Off Air with 20 episodes to catch up. I am now caught up, and of course, Jamie Oliver and Jess Phillips MP are the ones I've enjoyed the most so far. Best wishes on your new career endeavours. You've given me hope, as I too am having a career move, from a 20-year NHS business administrator role into the county's charity sector. We 50-year-olds can do it. Insert a US Rosie the Riveter emoji, she says. Goodness knows when we'll retire. In 1989, it was 60 when I started working at Hammersmith Hospital. Uh, Kind regards, Wendy. Um, Yes, you know... A change is possible as you get older, although I'd be the first to acknowledge, Wendy, that I'm 58 and I find change really difficult. But you've done very well with this, haven't you? Well, I'm really enjoying myself yeah. now, but I can't pretend that it wasn't a bit tricky to start with. Mm. New stuff is just hard when you get older. And how do you feel about the fact that 20 years ago you would have been expected to retire in a year and a half's time? Because well, I've got, I have friends who are sort of, you know, on that road, and some have sort of already tentatively dipped their toes into the water. It is interesting, isn't it? My mum certainly retired at sixty-one, sixty-two. I, I, it doesn't. I don't know how I could begin to to fill my days. I gen- genuinely don't know. And also, I'm really, you know, fortunate and feel healthy and. I've got a certain amount of intellectual curiosity. I mean, only a certain amount. Well, I mean, to go between three and five. <laughs> to be honest, your balance isn't great. No, but, no my balance isn't, isn't what it is. But I do that thing at Pilates where you stand on one leg, though, and I thought I was getting quite good at that, but I'm afraid this afternoon slightly <laughs> knocked my confidence in that area. Um, but no, you couldn't. You wouldn't be able to fill your time if you weren't working, would you? Good God, no. No, no I'm, I'm actually rather grateful that the that the retirement age has gone up. Uh, I mean, I need it as well. I need to, to carry on working. Yeah. I'm just, I don't know anybody who's actually in a strong enough financial position, especially at the moment, to consider living off the state pension. 
I'm not sure that anybody in this country does. No. Uh, Dear Jane and Fee, uh, your previous podcast took me through a divorce, selling my home, a new relationship, buying a new home, what felt like 32 prime ministers, and the death of the Queen. It's been quite a journey, and I'm pleased to have had you as company along the way. Uh, I previously wrote in on a subject. I won't disclose here as I was anonymous, but I wanted to say hello again as I lie on a sun lounger in 27-degree heat on the Tel Aviv beach. Currently listening to Jane's weekend of rain, laundry and Sainsbury shopping. And after two weeks here in the sun, I'm actually quite looking forward to getting back home to rainy England. So do please spare a thought for your poor listeners who are having to endure this heat and the endless supply of hummus whilst you do your laundry. Loving the new podcast and radio show, I'm very pleased I get to listen to you every day. Now take care, Ariel. He, him, Ariel, is a male name in Hebrew. Thought I'd clarify... Thank you for that. Ariel, yeah. thank you very much. Yeah, Every um, level. Yeah, endless supply of hummus. I, I, there are times when I, I want hummus and other times when, frankly, I'd be glad never to I see it again. I wouldn't want an endless supply. Unfortunately for me, it belongs in exactly the same box as pesto on pasta and carrot sticks. And there was just too many of them in the middle-class childhood of my children. And I cannot go there with any of those ingredients ever again. Right. Well, that's... Gosh, I mean, you've said some pretty controversial things within my earshot fee, but you've done it now. You really have. Cucumber sticks as well. Oh, no. <laughs> God. I mean... Tipped yeah. you over the edge now. <laughs> um, cucumber sticks. Did you go and collect your kids from nursery with a snack? Yes. I'm that type of mum. Yeah, no, I did too. I remember, do you know, I was stopped once in the street by a... I mean, I'm going to say it, by a nosy old biddy. <laughs> Uh, because my, I was walking my daughter back from nursery and she liked a particular form of brown, a balm cake, as we called it up north, you know, a bap. Yeah. Um, it's funny in the English language and in parts of the British Isles, what you call a small bread thing does vary depending on where you are. Yes. Roll, bap, bun, balm cake, all of these. Anyway, there she was gnawing away on a granary bap. And a woman, an old biddy lady, said I was a disgraceful woman and a disgrace to motherhood for feeding my children confectionery and allowing them to eat it in the street. What did she think it I was? I said, Madam, it is an organic roll. Did she think it was just a great big marshmallow? I think she thought it was a big sort of chocolatey bit of confectionery when okay. it was an organic granary roll. Honestly, Fee, I still think about that. Obviously you do, but I'm very <laughs> glad that you've, uh, you've managed to achieve some kind of catharsis. I should, go, retelling on, of I should that go on anecdote. Oprah with that story, shouldn't I? She'd say, thank you for sharing. Um, now look under your seat. <laughs> You'll find a bap. You've won a car. <laughs> um, Chris says, Jane, just a tip. If you put your golf balls in the cutlery holder in the dishwasher, they come out like new. Uh, thank you very much, Chris. I'm worried about that, but I'm going to save that worry for another day. Do you want to do a very, very quick reading from Craig Brown's book and then we'll say goodbye? I only wanted to mention uh, Craig Brown is obviously a, a fantastic writer and a brilliant satirist and he's got a new compilation of his many columns and books. Um, no, his many columns, actually. This, he's written other books. Oh, shut up, Jay. Right. This is called Haywire, uh, the best of Craig Brown. And there is a chapter uh, which is about In Our Time, the very cerebral Radio 4 show hosted by Mel B, uh, Melvin Bragg. And this particular chapter is about an edition of In Our Time dedicated to the concept of 
flogging a dead horse. And honestly, I suppose you have to be a bit of a Radio 4 anorak to find it funny. But Melvin's in the chair and his guests are Jeff Beardy, Professor of Applied EMV Studies at Queen's College, Oxford, Lynn Nervy, Visiting Fellow in the History of Equine Applications at the University of Surrey, and Gervais Hedge, Professor of Equine... <laughs> <laughs> Professor of Equine Linguistics at University College, London. <laughs> anyway, he's managed to write about, I don't know, 1,500, 2,000 words on this on pretend... On flogging a dead horse. On flogging a dead horse and the way Mel B and guests would tackle it. Oh, dear. We Sorry. both got the giggles today. Yeah, no, it was... I got the giggles very unfortunately, Jane, in our conversation about the donation of our bodies as... Uh, medical research mm. specimens later in life because I thought you were going to start on your my university's better than your university mm. and I think that the universities that we might send our bodies off to wouldn't really wouldn't really be graded in the same way would they? Uh, I'd, I would insist on a tour of the mortuary areas at any university inclined to accept my dead body okay I don't think that's unreasonable actually I've got to be honest I admire those who do leave their bodies to science <laughs> I don't think many people would want to gather round my it's a small apartment. Anything else? What could they make of it? Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't fancy it. <laughs> I don't know why this is so funny. It isn't, but it's just making me laugh. Right, Yotam Otolengi. Yes, uh, he of the enormous spice cupboard and very imaginative cooking brain is our guest tomorrow. I cannot wait. I do hope he's not on Zoom and he's actually bringing something in with him. And Stig Abel's on the programme tomorrow, yes. doing hero or villain. Yeah, I mean, the ha- mighty Stig. Yes, and Yotam surely will have a view on hummus. Oh my good lord! I hope he doesn't listen to this first. Well, I think we all hope nobody listens to this. But anyway, those of you who are listening to Off Air with Jane and V, we really hugely appreciate it. It's going great guns. Tell your friends if they're missing the other podcast. This one is now the place to be. Yeah. Uh, are you going to keep in touch with Melvin? Well, <laughs> Melvin Bragg. Yes. Of course I am. Very, 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 very dear friends. <laughs> you have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you like what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this, but live, uh, then you can Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times Radio. Yeah. Embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye.